Welcome to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. Every Friday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. Pacific and online at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. In the documentary film No Ordinary Man, The Legacy of Billy Tipton, a 20th century American jazz musician and trans icon is brought to life by a diverse group of contemporary trans artists. Revered jazz musician Billy Tipton was born Dorothy Lucille Tipton, gained fame throughout the United States in the 1940s and 50s. His trans identity was not known throughout the echelons of the jazz and pop worlds, but it wasn't, and it wasn't revealed publicly until after his death. The film is also structurally very interesting. In addition to we've, we're finding out about the life of Billy Tipton, we're also experiencing it and learning about the the life of trans masculine men who are also experiencing Billy Tipton in a audition rehearsal for an undetermined project. The film again is called No Ordinary Man, and we're joined today by the co-director, and that would be Chase Joint, as well as the co-writer and also producer, Amos Mack. To both of you, welcome to Film School Radio. Thank you. Thank you so much. I'm gonna start, I'm gonna start with you, Amos. Uh, it feels like as the writer, sort of the origin story for uh, No Ordinary Man, be a good place to start with you. How did the project sort of get underway? Well, Parabola Films reached out to me via Ashling Chin Yi, I'd say maybe a couple of years ago now. Uh, she was looking for to collaborate. She was looking to collaborate with a trans man who could, who was interested in trans history and who wanted to help bring Billy's story to life. And that's really, that was the jumping off point. That led us to like a deep dive into the Stanford archives where Diane Middlebrook, who had written a book on Billy Tipton's life, lived. There was so much, uh, there was photographs and Billy Tipton ephemera and research and audio files um, from the Stanford archives that Ashling and I went poured over together and, you know, created this story. How did you learn about Billy Tipton? I feel like Billy Tipton has always lived in the ether of trans masculine uh, culture. I remember seeing him a lot online and seeing, and people would write articles about like trans people in history and things like that. And that was really a jumping off point. I can't pinpoint the year that I had heard about him, but probably in the early 2000s through an online resource. Yeah. Chase, Chase, where did you come in as the co-director of No Ordinary Man? How did, how did you come to the project? So I came in after Amos had been brought onto the project as a writer. And when I was approached by the team at Parabola, I was particularly excited by the potential of working with Amos. You know, we came up together in various ways, transitioning at similar times in similar cities and had never really had a chance to connect beyond sort of a uh, I think you're great and doing amazing things in the world and, you know, let's hug if we see each other in public. And so the project was really an opportunity for us to, to get to know each other in a new way. And similarly, Billy Tipton was always someone who had existed alongside my understanding of trans history. But to be honest, I didn't know that much about him either. I think that the majority of details about Tipton's life were produced and controlled by the talk and tabloid media. And so what you knew about him was that he lived one way and was outed after death and thrown across the talk show circuit and scandalized, but you know, by all. And it was just this sort of clunky narrative where I thought, ah, there's, okay, another one of those, another one of those kinds of stories. And so our project was a really exciting opportunity to think about what other stories were there 
That is the thing. It is so fascinating. We get an understanding of Billy Tipton as a as a jazz musician, kind of his place, um, and all, as well as as we begin to kind of explore all of the the cultural and sexual politics and all the things that are a part of that contemporary time that he was that he lived through, and seeing it through the through the eyes of people who are living it today in some manner of speaking, those different layers. This is a film that is truly multi-layered. There is just a lot of things going on in it. It is a history lesson. It is an under get to know a little bit about Billy Tipton. It's also an opportunity to get to know a little bit about his son. And I think he plays an important role in all of this because we watch him evolve as understanding of his father. And then as we see him move through, and he's kind of a, for, for the audience, for a lot of people in the audience, he is kind of a window into understanding things that they may not be familiar with or understand at the level. And he, and he is as well. Um, but I also love the structure of the film. So in addition to the multi-layer and I'll, I'll guess Chase, I'll ask you in terms of just how you approached this bringing in trans actors to to live out or to talk about things that happen in Billy's life where did that part of the filmmaking come into the making of No Ordinary Man? Yeah absolutely so the scenes were inspired by and authored by Ashling and Amos who had been in the archives of Diane Middlebrook and happened upon ephemera and details of Tipton's life that served as portals for creative exploration. So what would it feel like to walk in and try and get a gig? Or what would it feel like to have to encounter someone who might be like you in the world unexpectedly or thinking about all these questions? And so the format of casting and performance was a way for us to welcome multiple trans voices to the proverbial storytelling table. I think that what was so surprising and heartening about the exercise was that all of the transmasculine talent that came into the rooms to join us in New York and Los Angeles came with a real willingness to talk about their own experiences and their own interpretations. And so it's really a moment where you watch us as the filmmaking team lose control of our story in service of the stories that are being produced and offered up by those in the rooms with us. I think that's a wonderful way to put it, to lose control of a story, but also have the confidence in the, your storytelling to allow this. Amos Mack, is that, is that how it felt while you're in the room and, you're, and the, the auditions are taking place? Is, is that a, how you felt, you felt at the time? Yes, I, I mean, it was wonderful to see how each actor came in with their own, many of them not even knowing who Billy Tipton was before getting you know, the, the sides and, and the seeing the call for the documentary. That was the first magical part was seeing all the different uh, interpretations of, of who Billy was. And knowing that, you know, we never have seen ourselves like moving, moving image footage of Billy Tipton. Uh, so this was really like the first time to see him come alive in my, through my eyes. And what came, like the side conversations and things like that, like in, in the room were also things that, you know, we were, we were hoping that people would be open to having little side conversations and let their guard down and tell us how they are connecting with the sides. Um, but what came out of it, like I never would have expected the magic that we 
that you see in the film? The the audition tapes that we see are really wonderful. And I mean, I there are some that stand out more than others. I think Marquise Vilson, I think I, most people would say, first of all, he really felt like he had the chops as an actor, just in terms of the way he would read those scenes, read those lines. There was something a little bit, a higher gear, if you will, in the way that he came to that to that project. And, uh, but he is particularly important in the storytelling in that he had an understanding of an incident that occurred in Billy's life. I think that he brought a different perspective to a particular point, a very important point in Billy's life as it played out, but also in terms of our understanding of what it would have been like for him in 1954. So if you want to, Amos, talk a little bit about that. The Marquis part where he says, yes. did you know what you were writing when you wrote, heard a rumor? Um, heard a rumor. Heard a rumor. <laughs> and the answer from me is, I did not have any idea of what I was writing. I think I just thought that that was a great first line in inside in the scene. Hey, heard a rumor. Um, or maybe I did, but by the time that happened, I did. It was like it had left my brain, as some things do. <laughs> but I mean, that was just that was that was one of the most incredible moments I think of the film of of the collaborative process between Marquise and the core creative team. You know, it was unexpected, and it showed Marquise had really, you know, done the emotional homework. Well, it also, to me, as a viewer it validates the idea of having the auditions and having these contemporary artists come in to essentially be a part of the storytelling because it, 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 it transcends time in a way. I mean, there's just so much about the way that that, that particular moment illuminates what I think so much of the film is about. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. And I think that, you know, for us looking back at the film as a whole now, I think the brilliance and beauty of documentary is you can do all of the preparation you want, but when you get into the room and the cameras are on and people are in their moments, you don't know what's going to happen and you really do need to follow people's leads. And, and there's something to me in that moment where you're watching Marquise have a conversation with us, think about Tipton historically, think about his role in the creation of a new kind of history or a new kind of story about transmasculine life and it's kind of a perfect storm of engagement that I think extends throughout all parts of the film. Absolutely right. Well, and there are other actors or other scenes where there are versions of that. And I, forgive me, I don't remember exactly who it was, but was reading a, a, a particular, some lines and you, you or Amos, I'm not sure who it was, explained another sort of different context that for that particular scene and they and they were oh and then they had to literally cold cold read right there and in front of you in a very different way and then they step away and say i, I never thought of it you know I, am, am i doing this accurately there was yeah. that particular yeah yeah so I believe you're talking about alex davis okay yeah. yeah and and the way that you could see in his eyes you could see in his bearing that oh i get oh this is you know, this is more than I expected. Um, I do want to talk a little bit about, there are a couple of things. I mentioned Billy Tipton Jr. I think he's, he is an important part of the story, but there are others. 
uh, who helped. By the way, let me remind our listeners before we go any further that we are talking about the new documentary film called No Ordinary Man. It's a story about Billy Tipton Sr., who uh, was a jazz pianist, revered as one of the best jazz players of his time. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, there are only two recordings of his? Is there more recordings that we just don't see in the film, or is that it? But it's safe, it's safe to say that he was considered and uh, he was considered one of a good, a very good pianist. And he and he played, and you get into the, his sort of backstory of playing regionally, and there's a lot about him in the in the film. So uh, thank you for correcting that. But I also, go back, we're talking about uh, the documentary film, No Ordinary Man, and we're joined today by the co-director, Chase Joint, as well as the co-writer, and that would be Amos Mack. There's a whole lot of people in the film that are really our guides in so many different ways. Also, commentary. The Stephen no Pennington perspective that he brings, I thought, was terrific in so many different ways. He sort of is, I would call it a historian, would that be a an accurate sort of yeah i think okay. i think he's a musicologist music yeah. historian for sure yeah and others where did now how did that sort of process how did you sort of get in touch bring the bring these different people in i was saying early on uh i remember making a list of trans creators and um artists and historians that i thought would be a good a good match and doing like you know just kind of creating uh, a wish list, so to speak. Uh, and then once uh, Chase, Chase came onto the project, um, more names were added and, you know, were shuffled around and, and I'll let you take it from there, Chase. <laughs> yeah, so for us, you know, the film features a veritable who's who of, of trans intellectuals and cultural producers. Then, uh, you know, someone like Susan Stryker, who is responsible for authoring a book called Transgender History, which is a really highly cited go-to text for the history of trans movements and identities in, in North America in particular, or someone like Stephen Pennington, who's a professor of music and has been thinking about trans and gender non-conforming musicians and scenes. And someone like Thomas Page McBee, who is emerging in culture as a, a highly sought after a scholar of masculinity, scholar and critic of masculinities. And so for us, similar to the approach to the story, which is, what would it mean to approach Billy's life from all of these points? We thought similarly about the, the expert speaking subjects. What does it mean to approach Tipton from a historical perspective or from a contemporary lens or from you know, the history of music? And so hoping that through all of those different vantage points, we could create a, a constellation of a portrait. Right, and I want to acknowledge uh, Amos Mack, uh, the uh, original plumbing, the best 10 years of trans male culture uh, is also a, a great source of uh, perspective and information on all of this. Amos, congratulations on the book. Thank you so much. Maybe I'm overstating this, I probably am, but there does seem to be cultural movement in a positive direction in terms of the trans world. Uh, I'm not sure, maybe, please, please correct me if I'm wrong. I had uh, Sam Fetter on earlier this year for Disclosure and that seemed that film seemed to have made quite an impression. Certainly the the uh, the reaction to it was very positive. Namus, would you like to comment in terms of just where we are? In, and I know that's a huge question. It's easy, it's not an easy thing to pin down, but any any ideas in terms of perspective on where we are? I mean, I think in the last 10, 
years, we've seen a huge shift in terms of uh, trans representation in media, um, in television and film, um, behind, the, behind the lens and in front of the lens. There's still tons of work to do, but there, it's, there seemed to be a huge shift specifically around uh, Laverne Cox, when her role on Orange is the New Black led to her becoming like this uh, beacon of this trans figure <clears throat> and on the cover of Time Magazine and everything. There was the moment on Katie Couric. Chase, do you remember that moment? I yeah, it was a moment that, where, where... That shifted everything, yeah. right? Maybe you can explain that. Sure, it's a moment on Katie Couric where Laverne Cox and, and Carmen Carrera are being interviewed and again, a question about bodies and surgery came up and Laverne took a pause and completely shut down the question and the conversation by saying that we are in a moment in culture where it is actually no longer acceptable. It has never been acceptable, but it is certainly no longer acceptable for these to be the kinds of questions that are asked of trans people in public. And it's so relevant to us too in thinking about the kinds of questions that were asked of Tipton's family on the talk show circuit after his death in the early 90s and thinking about how culturally we come to know trans identities through these mediatized representations. And so to return to your original question about what does it mean to be emerging in culture at this time with a film like this, you know, we really identify ourselves as being in conversation with, with Sam's film Disclosure as a moment where we're looking and saying, you know, what is the power of representation? What does it mean for the ability for trans and gender nonconforming people to, to thrive and survive? And you feel generally good, better? I mean, trans people are obviously still the object of horrific violence around the country and also certainly around the world. There are obviously a long ways to go, but. Yeah, I think, it, you know, in any conversation about visibility, you have to be having a conversation about vulnerability and to recognize that where there is a spotlight, there is an opportunity to pay close attention to the most vulnerable members of a, of a community. And so we can look to people like Laverne and like Janet Mock, who continually reposition the narrative away from celebrity toward, toward social justice and, and activism for, for trans communities. Amos, you want to comment? I mean, I completely agree with what Chase has said. Uh, it, it's a privilege to be in a, in a position to create work and to have conversations through film and television, you know, like the, what I'm doing, what Chase is doing. It, it feels like an honor, honestly, to to live as, as, a, as an artist and to be having these conversations even with you, so. Well, thank you. Thank you both for being here today. Again, the film is called No Ordinary Man. We've been joined by the co-director Chase Joint, as well as the writer Amos Mack. The film is coming out. Be on the lookout for No Ordinary Man. And the reaction, certainly critically speaking, the reaction to the film has been, I think it's 100% on Rotten Tomatoes. It's uh, Obviously, that feels pretty good uh, yeah, in terms good. of, you know, I know Filmmakers don't exactly like me to bring up Rotten Tomatoes because it's a kind of a mixed bag. I understand that. But nonetheless, when you're scored 100, you know, you can't really. Hey, that's pretty cool. I didn't know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We're batting 100. All right. Well, to both of you, Chase Joint and Amos Mack, thank you so very much for being here on Film School. Thank you. Thank you, Mike. Thank you. 
You've been listening to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. You can find out more about the program at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Thank you for tuning in, and we'll see you next week with another edition of Film School Radio. 